0: Hello, and welcome to another book club. This week we are talking about a fascinating and discombobulating book called The Man Who Tasted Words. It's by Professor Guy Lechziner.
3: Oh, so close. No. Actually, not even you, close. No. Lechziner. <laughs>
0: I I knew that I knew I, I knew as I was saying it that I'd got the second part. The second part was the bit I'd learnt and I thought I could get away with the first bit. Lech Zinner. Yeah, more or less. They're so like lech, lech and no,
3: no, lech, then <laughs> <laughs> Very important.
0: Lech Lech yes. Uh where's the where's that name originate it, from? It's originally
3: right? sort of Germany, Poland.
0: Yeah. Right. It's a g it's a good name. If you were in show business I would suggest changing it.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure I'd get away with it. <laughs>
0: um and um tell us uh for those of us who don't know who you are guy tell us who you are and what
3: you do so i'm a neurologist i work at guys and st thomas's hospitals in central london and i see a a range of people with neurological complaints sleep disorders and epilepsy
0: great and you've written is this your second book it is yes so so can you tell us briefly about your your first book
3: so my first book was called the nocturnal brain and it was all about how sleep disorders things like insomnia clock disorders narcolepsy manifest and uh, what they tell us about our own sleep
0: okay um well, that's I haven't re- yet read that one, but having read this, the the man who tasted words, I will do my best to get back to this. This is absolutely um, fascinating stuff. Um, basically, it's it's a book about our five or more senses and uh, and the way, well, sort of how fragile and how how amazing they are, and then it's a slightly mind blowing
3: conclusion
0: about reality. Uh, and whether it exists um how would you describe it? how would you describe this this book
3: well i think it, it is a tour of our senses and how they work they uh, we we tend to think of our senses as simply being channels of information from the outside world in but actually it's far more complicated than that and that our the information that we acquire is really interpreted in the context of how we understand the world and of course all of that depends on the nuts and bolts of how our nervous systems and indeed the whole of our bodies are put together which means that actually depending on how we are put together and that's influenced by genes it's influenced by our environment can really mean that we all perceive the world in a very different way.
0: Yeah I mean it's sort of It's sort of like a very long answer to the question that we maybe all asked as kids is, you know, is what I see as red what you see as red? Is that the same colour or are they different colours? Which, you know, is sort of moot because obviously unless you're colourblind, it it, it doesn't matter if it is a different colour. But it sort of is that, isn't it? It's about whether, about the way well you know the, the different it's it's fascinating as it goes on because it's it's about the possibilities of different perceptions and obviously once you get into the idea of being able to taste words or or give colors to sounds and things like that that that's that's actually a completely different way of observing whatever the hell the real world is so um yeah
3: and by, by the end of the book, as you say, there, you know, I come to the conclusion that actually we, we all don't really understand what reality is and that reality may be different for all of us.
0: Yeah, which, again, you know, is something, again, as a, ch- as a child or as, a, you know, that kind of inquiring mind, it does feel... Uh, you you talk about um, Hoffman, uh, who thinks that uh, our senses are actually hiding reality rather than than interpreting reality, uh, and that there is no time and space. But that sort of it sort of makes sense. The idea that you know, if you think of like, I was just talking on my other podcast the other day about uh, the mites on our faces that. Um, go into our pores and have sex with come out and have sex with each other and defecate on our faces. And we don't even know they're there. If they tried to make sense, (laughs) if they were able to make sense of their universe, uh, it wouldn't, it wouldn't really be, you know, it would be only of their immediate environment, they couldn't really understand what that, what the bigger picture was. And I suppose that's almost certainly true uh, of humanity. As much as we do understand, as much as we've, we've worked out, it's, there's every chance we're just sex mites on someone's face and we don't know about it.
3: That's a cheery thought.
0: <laughs> but um, what's interesting about this book, in fact, Professor Alice Roberts, who's given you some nice reviews, I believe interviewed was was on a previous edition and did recommend uh, this book. So it's nice to have you on after a recommendation. Um, and she was impressed by the way that it's a sort of book. I mean, she said it was sort of written by you and the patients, which isn't exactly true, but the, the patients it 's you taking case studies and very much and naming the patients which often doesn 't happen um, in books like these, and giving us a, a bit of their life story but also their their story of how they 've coped with with conditions where where something has gone wrong with with their senses
3: yeah, one of the problems with this kind of book is that often doctors have to anonymize the story of the patients that they 're describing. But actually, I took a different view, which is that if I anonymize them, then you really don't get to grips. You don't get a true flavor of them as individuals. And actually, all of the patients who were described in, in this book um, were were on board with this. They saw the chapters. Uh, they gave their approval um, in an effort to try and minimize any anonymization at all.
0: Yeah, so a few people you've give you've changed their names, uh, I guess if they've asked to do so. But but basically, it's you know, it, you, it's it's we get a little view into your life, I think, which is which is always nice. I think when it, it take although it's a very academic book, and it's and there's there's a there's a lot to learn from it. It's kind of nice when it, which I think Alice does brilliantly as well. Is it, it just you, you get a little bit of the personality of the author as well. But I think absolutely the 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 way we you, you go into the to the lives and the broader lives of the of patients. I mean, it makes there's some, there's some very shocking stories in there and and uh, sort of upsetting stories. I mean, this, the early on you talk about a man who's um, unable to feel uh, pain, basically. So and so has spent his whole childhood just jumping off roofs and pulling out. I mean, there's a kind of sort of awful bit where he's him and his sister, who's got the same condition, have pulled all their teeth out because for fun, and they're just laughing as they pull their pull their teeth out. Um, But it's a, it's that's a. I mean, there's a lot of very fascinating stories um, about that. So tell us what, in that instance, for example, what's what's the condition that has led that guy to not be able to
3: to feel pain. Yeah, Paul Paul has a a condition called congenital insensitivity to pain, which is a very rare disorder that has an underlying basis in his genetics. And unfortunately, both he and his two siblings have that condition because they've inherited two copies of the faulty gene, one from their mother and one from their father. Uh, Essentially, they've never been able to feel physical pain. And as a result, um, they really have learned none of the lessons that really pain gives us. So pain is intrinsic to the human experience. And it's very difficult to think of a life completely devoid of pain. Paul, Paul and his siblings give a very good illustration of that. So unfortunately, one of his siblings passed away as a result of this congenital insensitivity to pain. She was not able to feel the pain of, a, of an infection intra inside her abdomen and as a result it wasn't recognized but when you you speak to paul and you speak to his parents you know the stories of his childhood are absolutely horrifying you know even Mm. even having uh, thought about paul and written about paul uh, i'm still when i when i think about the stories that he told me it's absolutely horrifying
0: because you you know there is an element with uh, with almost I mean at the beginning of the book you ask the, the reader to rank their senses and which ones they would they would say they definitely didn't want to lose and which one they would want to keep and obviously as you go through you realise how essential they all are in in different ways so you would sort of feel like feeling no pain would be uh, as you talk about it it's sort of almost almost like a superpower that you are like a superhero but of course it it doesn't turn out that way and if you if you injure yourself all the time you're, you you uh, you have long term Injuries, and as you say, you know, it's uh, you're obviously obviously much prone to to death in any case. So it's 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 a weird thing to think of, you know, this thing that we would see as such a negative in our lives, the thing that we fear, but that we actually, you know, we need that not to be human, because obviously you're still human if you haven't got uh, pain, but you know, to 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 live a fulfilling life and to be safe, you need to know that pain. The pain is there to to help us, even though obviously when it comes, it's that's. That's not how
3: it feels. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the pain is fundamental to human survival, and the yeah. only reason why Paul and his sister are alive is because of modern medicine. You know, in any other circumstance, their the demise would have happened many, many years ago.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's well, you know, it's it, but it's sort of fascinating as you go through each of these things, and many of them are about <coughs> people who have either lost lost a sense, or um, you know, or or, or or it works in a different way. Um, uh, the, the thing that actually, the the thing I wanted to, to mention that really stuck with me out of everything weirdly was, was just, a, a, it's quite a nice idea you have in the book about how, um, speech is, you know, a form of, uh, telepathy, which I hadn't really uh, thought of, which also, I suppose a book is a form of telepathy as well, but like you create sound waves that go into someone else's head and let them know what you're thinking. And then with a book, uh, presumably through light waves or whatever <laughs> you know more about this than me <laughs> that you're 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 actually you know that's exciting and interesting that you can it, it's an interesting way to think of it but it is a kind of beautiful way to think about it that to just talking to someone is telepathy reading something you can you can hear the thoughts of someone who died two thousand years ago as you know it's oh, i guess if you record someone you can get the thoughts of someone 200 150 years ago but um I, I, that that really struck with me i thought that was a beautiful beautiful idea
3: I can't claim credit for that one, unfortunately. Right. That, that, that that comes from <laughs> elsewhere. But it is uh, you know, amazing if you think about it, that essentially what many of our centres do is they give us a huge amount of information at a distance. And that yeah. information gives us uh, a – an understanding of reality and and we can talk about what that reality actually is but it also allows for the communication of ideas of emotions of a whole range of other things that allow us to function as a society
0: yeah and and you you know you you, you explain that there obviously are you know we, we traditionally see the world as five senses but actually there is there's more than that really because of balance and i mean you do explain what what are, what other what 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 are, on top of the five senses what what would you say we also have
3: well i think that one of the senses that is often described as the sixth sense although i would uh take issue with that is this concept of what's termed proprioception that is knowing where our bodies are in space where our body parts in relation to each other are and yeah. um you know this is something that is an entirely unconscious sense but when you lose it as one of the patients in the book that I describe has done then the impact of that is absolutely huge so the inability to know where your legs are in relation to your body of course would mean that you are completely unable to walk some of the other senses that I describe uh, as you say is a, is the a sense of balance which you know we all take uh, we, all, we all take for granted. It's only, for example, when you're playing those childhood games like spinning round and round on a merry-go-round and you try and walk in a straight line that you realise quite what a big impact that has on everyday life. And indeed, some of the other individuals that I describe in the book have impairment of their sense of balance as a result of ear problems, for example. And their yeah. lives have essentially ceased to exist in the way that they did before they developed these problems.
2: Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a few things in the book that uh, that sl- uh, slightly touch on things that have happened to me. Uh, one of the, you know, I, I had the I, I've had that benign positional vertigo, um, which is just again an in an inner ear thing, which you talk where you've got bit you've got little bits in your ear moving around mm-hmm. that make you just feel very dizzy all the time, and as you say, luckily that one 's quite an easy one to to cure though the first time I had it I had it for, for ages, And I think it just went away on its own. Mm. The last time I had it, I managed to do to do the movements on my on my own, but uh, i don 't think because you talk about people throwing up on you and uh, gr- grasping onto you as as you're doing yes. the
3: movements them good times
0: yeah <laughs> i didn 't have it quite that bad i don 't think um, but i do have uh, i do have aph- aphantasia, which uh, I only found now i only realized this during lockdown um and i've talked about it a lot on various podcasts so my listeners will uh, have heard this before probably but um yeah i'm that sort of it so i have basically got a blind mind's eye though i didn't realize that and i thought and i actually until i did the experiment i assumed that i could see images mm. in my head and so i was a, that, you talk about people realizing in their teens but i didn't realize till i was 53 that i had this mm. um although i'm not sure sh- I would surely have noticed if I'd been able to form images before and then couldn't unless it happened very gradually. But I sort of fe- seem to remember. I remember as a, a kid when I was learning things, I seem to remember seeing like the page that I was learning and be able to remember where on the page things were, which suggests that I could once uh, have mental images. That That's sort of that's that, that's quite common right i mean i've met quite a lot of people with the i met the girl last night who had the same thing.
3: yeah so aphantasia is is uh within the realm of normal humanity so we know that a, a substantial proportion of individuals have no mind's eye. Some people have a very good mind's eye, and there's a range of people in between. I guess what, you, what you're referring to is this concept of loss, loss of a particular ability or loss of a particular sense. Uh, I, I guess aphantasia refers to a, almost an internal sense rather than an external mm. sense. It's your, your internal vision, your ability to conjure up visual images in, in your mind. But, you know, one of the common themes throughout the book is the fact that, you know, loss can occur in two ways. It can be something that was never there in the first place, which is loss in a way, because you realize that you perhaps don't have the same faculties or, or facilities that other people have, but is probably not going to fundamentally change your your own perception of your life or there is loss that is acquired and one of the people that I describe is a a young woman who had a a stroke that resulted in her losing her mind's eye which was of massive importance to her because she was actually working as an artist at the time and Hmm. her uh, the loss of her mind's eye really fundamentally changed her own picture of herself and her ability to function.
0: Yeah, and, and she. See, I find it interesting. Cause she talks about not having not having doors on her cupboard because she can't imagine what's inside her cupboard. But I can imagine what's inside a, a cupboard. I just can't picture it. And so, so it is that because she's got so. I've obviously found a way round. And I, you know, I, I, was, I was talking to this uh, girl last night at the gig. house I, I was going. It sort of feels like you know. I can sort of imagine my kids' face. Kids' faces. But it's sort of happening almost, and you talk about this in, in, in other context. Maybe it's about the um, about the colors and stuff. It's almost like it's happening behind my field of vision. Mm. So I've kind of got it's like a reflection on water that kind of is there and disappears, and it feels like it's it feels like it's happening back there rather than in in front in front of my uh, in front of my eyes. So I can still, you know, I, I know what's in the fridge. I can tell you what's in each each level layer of the fridge, and I can, you know, I can tell you what color the pot. But maybe it's because I've got used to thinking of things in words rather than images,
3: possibly. Possibly, but it's also important to remember that this is a range of severity. And it right. may be that actually, although you're at the, the, the bottom end of that range, range, you haven't lost it completely. So, yeah, so you sure. have a weak mind's eye rather than no mind's eye.
0: Right. Can I cure it, is the question. Is there any way I can get my mind's eye back or, or discover
3: it? Not that we're aware of, unfortunately. <laughs> this is part and parcel of who you are, Richard.
0: No. I mean, I do. It's. I wish I hadn't found out because I, I was happy not knowing. I was happy living in my, <laughs> in my blank world. Uh, yeah, it's. It, it. It. But those sort of things are fascinating. And obviously, the man who tasted words is the is the title of the book. And that's that's such a uh, a fascinating chapter about uh, uh, the the man in question. Who's uh, I'm sure you know the name of, uh, but I, I write down his name. Uh, anyway, he can't. He, he, James.
3: James. James. That's yeah. right.
0: Yeah. He. Uh, he. Uh, well, it, it, it's often that tube station. He can give you can, if you say a tube station to him, he can tell you what that tube station tastes of, or what what the word the words <laughs> make him. And so he's he's actually sort of feel, he's actually tasting that in his mouth as he as he says those words it's sort of a feeling or is it
3: it's an actual taste so yeah. you know it, and it doesn't rely on him saying those words it relies on him hearing or even reading those words so yeah. every time he he experiences a word that is associated with a very real taste of of food in his mouth or sometimes more even food sometimes it can be rather unpleasant things Or he describes vividly when a a childhood friend of his went out with a a woman called Irene and Irene tasted of lumpy vomit for example so he couldn't really understand why his friend was attracted to Irene so 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 this is really a true merging of the senses
0: yeah I mean it's again a lot a lot it's another one that feels like oh that's kind of amazing but but would surely be like a, a curse as well because it's that's because you're not in control of of the input coming in if you were able to control that and say right okay I'm going to taste what this word tastes like that might be quite good fun but for the, to have that it must be an information overload a, a lot of the time
3: uh, it is uh, for him it's very distracting sometimes you know look the 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 concept of synesthesia so this merging of the senses in many ways is is very enriching and uh, i give the example of a musician who hears when she hears music she sees colors and she yes. she experiences sensations and and that must be an incredibly enriching experience for her but for james you know this constant tasting of 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 things every time he hears or or sees words uh, it it can be very distracting he gives a very good illustration of for example being in the exam room as a as a, a schoolboy and the clatter of the Pencil, a pencil being dropped on the floor or hearing shouts from outside would flood his mouth with particular tastes which he found very distracting and that's the case with certain types of music as well
0: yeah and you, and, and you talk the, the lady who sees the 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 colors also but it weirdly talks about a certain music giving her a pain in her thumb which is sort of a, but is it an exquisite delight almost this pain makes her as happy as she can be but it's a it's a pain in her thumb which is a, again a very strange idea
3: there's so many strange things in this
0: yeah but it but it makes you realize you know because because often uh like a a tumor has grown and moved something around or just you've you, there's, there's something's gone a little bit wrong in the in the body and it kind of is a slightly frightening book because you sort of start wor- <laughs> worrying oh my god what if what if that happens you know you realize how fragile your ability to, you know, to taste and smell because smell so, like you say, you smell. You might, you might go, oh, I'm not bothered about smell. You know, that doesn't matter too much. But then, you know, when I met, you talk about this about about the the, the role in um, finding a, a mate, how important it is. I remember when I met my wife, the smell that came off the top of her head was just the most amazing thing i'd ever you know and it, i just have never experienced anything like it and i think that was there was obviously like a lot of chemicals a lot, coming of, out. A lot of pheromones, <laughs> a lot of pheromones yeah. coming out saying here we go this is the one uh but no, if you don't have that uh you know you you lose so much in your in your life obviously it's connected with taste but also uh you know not being able to smell bad things and keep away from bad things and not not you you talk about the um the way ta- that smell is so associated with memory as well, then you have quite an unpleasant <laughs> pleasant in- example of of how that's worked for you.
3: Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, when I started writing the book and, uh, and uh, in the, one of the early chapters, I I asked people to rank their senses in terms of which they would lose most happily or well, happily is perhaps not the right word, but which they would be most prepared to sacrifice and certainly smell ranked fairly low down on my list. Um, I I think by the end of writing this book, you know, the implications of the loss of sense of smell became really quite apparent. So, you know, memory, as you say, but also emotion... Um, it's about I- emotional processing. Um, you know, we know that, for example, the loss of sense of smell is strongly associated with depression and, and vice versa. And the loss of sense of smell has some important clues, for example, as a, a precursor of conditions like Alzheimer's disease or Parkinson's disease. Now, obviously, at the moment, everybody is very focused on smell because of COVID. Um, mm. And the consequences of a long-term loss of smell may be actually much more significant than we initially uh, consider
0: yeah i mean you know it, it is this whole package and it is this way we uh experience experience whatever reality is and whatever we make of reality and 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 obviously there as you say again there's there's things that uh that we don't know you know that we don't there's obviously the colors we don't see and the the waves we don't the sound the the the, the various waves that we don't have any way of uh, 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 uh biologically speaking uh, finding out about that that because that, they don't do us any immediate harm so there's no evolutionary benefit in in knowing about them so there's a it it, it is a sort of real it really um you know it's it's an it's an unsettling book in a, in a lot of ways in just in making you sort of dive deep into your own fragility into your own humanity but also then working you know using that to try and work out exactly what's going on i know you're not as uh, you're not like behind Hoffman exactly in in his idea that um that that reality is, is our senses are hiding reality from us but it does sort of make sense that our, our senses are there to keep us safe and keep us going and uh, as long and that's that's the sort of biological imperative. So it would make sense what, that I mean, like you talk about the Matrix and it's not the Matrix because he's still in time and space when he comes out of the Matrix. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, it's it, it is sort of interesting that the sen- senses could be they're working for us, but they, they but only in terms of keeping us here and alive.
3: Yeah, I mean, it is mind blowing. Even now, having having written this book, and I've you know one of the major reasons why I find uh, Hoffman's theory quite difficult to stomach is because it runs so contrary to my own experiences as a as a human being rather than as a doctor. (laughs) Uh, And when you think about it too much, you know, your head explodes. Um, But but I think the the other aspect of this is that our sense of reality is to some extent very largely defined by our brains and by the model that our brains have of the world around us, how we understand the world and what our expectations of the world are. So it's not just the raw senses, it's not just the raw information coming in, but it's this model of the world that is essentially, some of which is hardwired, some of which is, is there from the day that we're born, but is constantly being tweaked and it's perhaps not, therefore, that surprising that each of us have a slightly different model of the world and therefore can perceive, even if the senses are, are are unaffected, may actually perceive reality to be somewhat different to the person sitting next to us.
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely with that, you know, again, it's what you mentioned in the chapter, But if someone's seeing colours when they hear sound, and that lady suggests that she thinks certain composers may also uh, have experienced that because it sort of fits so closely with her own experience but th- that's that is definitely you know you you're ex- if you're experiencing <laughs> the, the world in, in that way then you that that life is different enough i mean that almost feels like a new an evolutionary step possibly forwards or or just a Another side, you know, a
3: sidestep,
0: a sidestep, yeah. or, or a different direction. But if that, if that, if all those people who could do that got together and sat, went on an island and, and stayed together for ten thousand, hundred thousand 100,000 years, it'd be interesting to see to see what that developed into. But you know, because, and it, because I think it is, it's, uh, it is fascinating to realize there are there are, you know, we're told things, aren't we? And that that, that idea that it's not really five senses and that we can consider other things as senses um is is you know that's mind-blowing enough in itself really um i was i was really glad to see uh, bill oddy pop up in the book who's i'm a big fan of and he's who's done the podcast before but that was an interesting uh, story for,
3: with bill yeah that's about as close to comedy as i get uh, <laughs> very vicariously so 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 bill was very very helpful uh, in in the the writing of this book and uh, the the associated radio series in that uh, bill has uh, been losing his hearing for a little while, and it has a massive impact on his ability to hear the calls of birds. Of course, he's a, he's a famous uh, yeah. tweeter um but but that in itself is not the main event actually a few years ago bill started hearing musical hallucinations so wherever he was in his house he would hear a, a soundtrack to his life that he initially thought was due to the neighbors playing their music a bit too loudly but soon it soon became apparent that actually he's suffering from musical hallucinations it's it's the style of music that he really takes offense to because it's the precise <laughs> type of music that he absolutely hates and uh <laughs> At one point, you said to me that you wished his cranial d j could be changed um but but you know I think that what this really illustrates is the fact that many of our experiences originate from the brain than rather than from our peripheral senses and Bill gives a very good illustration of that,
0: yeah, I mean, it sort of makes you think about uh you know what ghosts may be and 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 where the idea of ghosts comes from, which obviously is a, uh, if you as as long as you accept that there aren't ghosts um that, you know, we me and my wife, when we had, uh, when our son was young and we just moved into this house, we, both of us would hear a, a baby crying in the house and we'd go in and our, and our baby would be asleep. <laughs> and we I mean, obviously, we're both tuned into the uh, to the idea of babies crying. Uh, and it was obviously something else we, we did hear it or we both were imagining it. But it's sort of, it, it's sort of fascinating that two people could have that same experience about something that either wasn't there or that they were misinterpreting
3: well it's about the expectation of hearing a baby yeah. crying it's a bit like the the you know the mobile phone vibrating in your pocket you're you know when you're expecting a call you're constantly pulling out your phone thinking that it's might be vibrating only to find that it that it isn't it's it's yeah. about it's about interpreting our sensory inputs in the context of our expectation of the world
0: yeah but yeah i mean that it's it's such a fascinating book there's so much stuff we we could talk about i don't want to talk about uh, about everything in it because it's um uh, because i'd like people to read it and find stuff out for themselves so uh, it is uh, are you are you um are you planning another any
3: another book have you got something oh, else you're working i, I have on? plans
0: okay <laughs> <laughs> it's such an interesting area though i mean obviously sleep is a very interesting area as well which the the other the other book covers but um it, it's. Um, are you sort of limited to to the work you're doing, or are, are you now sort of moving beyond beyond your job and, and looking at other things beyond? Well,
3: well, I think looking looking at things beyond my job in the context of the brain and how it works and, and clinical neurology. You know, I think the, the the fascination of neurology is that the the brain and the nervous system essentially defines pretty much every aspect of our being and um and and that's the that's the joy of neurology that's the joy of neuroscience
0: yeah well it's 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 terrific book the man who tasted words uh it's uh highly lots of good reviews and highly recommended by many people and rightly so um are you reading anything yourself that you would like to recommend to me and uh the listeners of this podcast?
3: well i'm just about to start the escape artist but i think everybody is reading that at the moment
0: <laughs> okay well that's good it's good to, it's good to get a, a, a common one as well um look it's been really interesting talk, talking to you thank you so much for uh for coming on and uh good luck with the with the book and. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know who's going to be the guest next week, actually, because we've we we, we got ahead of ourselves. So thank you very much. Thank you for to having Professor, me. To Professor Guy Lechner.
3: Oh, Lechner.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not having you on again. It's too hard to say your name. It's too hard. I'll have to change
3: my name by deed poll <laughs> <Cole> next time.
0: <laughs> thank you, Guy. That was uh, That was awesome.